Welcome to From the Front Porch, a conversational podcast about books, small business, and life in the South. point was that we both understood how easy it is to let your life pass along, totally in book, unless you take a risk, disrupt the expected patterns, and try to make something human happen. C.J. Hauser, The Crane Wife. I'm Annie Jones, owner of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in beautiful downtown Thomasville, Georgia. And this week, Hunter McClendon and I are here for our last collaboration of 2022, chatting about our favorite books of the year. Just one last reminder as we eke closer to Christmas that I am joining author Melissa Zaldivar and podcast host Jamie Ivey for a Little Women Book Club as we close out this year and begin the next. We're starting our reading on Christmas Eve and we'll be reading one chapter together until mid-February. So one chapter of Little Women every day until mid-February. Throughout these winter months, we'll convene over Zoom to share our thoughts, opinions, and reading experiences. All ages are welcome and a familiarity with Little Women is not required. Jamie's reading it for the first time, and I know lots of first-timers, like my mom, will be joining us too. To receive the reading schedule and to be signed up for the virtual meetings, visit www.cheerheron.com forward slash little women. There's a link in the show notes too. I'd love for you to join us. Now, back to the show. Back in July... On episode 381 of From the Front Porch, Hunter and I shared our top five reads of the year so far. We wanted to touch base in the middle of the year, and now we are back, looking back on 2022 and ready to maybe, kind of, sort of, solidify our top 10 reads of the year. Hi, Hunter. Hello. Are you excited about this? I'm very excited to hear your top 10 because I need to know what I missed, what I need to prioritize. I want to see what crossover we have. So in that way, I'm very excited. I'm excited because I think it's been a few years since we had a few years, a couple years since we've had a lot of overlap on our list. And I like that because I like kind of reading what you're reading and you help me diversify my reading. But I do think we're going to have at least a couple of overlapping titles this year. And I'm excited about that. Oh, same. So we back on episode 381, which if you want, there's a link to that in the show notes as well. If you want to go back and listen or re-listen, you and I decided to do like our top five of the year, which Mm -hmm. I weirdly, tell me how you feel about this. I think it's almost easier to come up with a top five than it is a top 10. Yeah. I don't know why, but yes, I agree. Because it's almost like I can do a top five and a top 12, but a top 10 is kind of difficult. I don't know. Those back five titles are always difficult for me. So We did our top five of the year, and I thought we could just remind folks of what our top five were. So do you want to go first? Yeah, my top five were The Crane Wife by C.J. Hauser, The Swimmers by Julie Otsuka, Trust by Ernan Diaz, The Last White Man by Mohsen Hamid. Is that how you say that? I'm not 100% sure about that. And then Just by Looking at Him by Ryan O'Connell. Okay, and then my top five, we had the same top two. My top five were The Crane Wife by C.J. Hauser, The Swimmers by Julie Otsuka, Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus, Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin, and The Many Daughters of A. Fong Moy by Jamie Ford. How do you feel about those top five now that we are here at the official end of the year? I just realized that I, I think all of my top five 
Yeah, all of my top five are in my top ten, but just in different places. Same. That's the same for me, too. All of my top five are in my top ten, but not the same spots they were in Mm -hmm. July. Tell me about your reading life this year. Like, how do you feel how 2022 went? Was it hard to come up with a top ten? What are the vibes as we exit this very long year? Well, it's funny because typically I read a lot more new release titles and that's kind of, you know, you and I, like what we're, we're doing, like the best reads that came out this year, you know, like that's, that's right. how we, and so, but most of my, I read a lot of backlist titles because of my national book award project. I read a lot of books. My friend Bernie was recommending a lot of books from previous booker long lists. And I read a lot of translated literature this year. So a lot of those things kind of, uh, I guess, my year's been, it's felt very different because, so yeah, that, it's been hard for me to come up with a top 10 just because so much of, so many of my favorite books were books that came out previously or aren't available in America and had to be like special uh-huh. ordered somewhere else, you know, so. Yeah. Were it not for the fact that I was making you do frontlist titles, it would, <laughs> it would include a lot or maybe most, mostly backlist titles. I would probably, yeah, honestly, I think that, yeah, I think that like, uh, you know, I like, you, you know, we, I loved The Crane Wife and I loved The Swimmers and there's like a couple others that I was like, oh, I love these. But like, I, you know, I think a lot about like books like uh, Catch-22 was mm-hmm. amazing. The Kane Mutiny, Invisible Man, uh, that book Milkman by Anna Burns that came out in 2018. A lot, a lot of translated literature was, there's this book called Ellen and Nose that was really good. So I definitely think that my overall top 10 is very different, but I love being able to figure out like, oh, what were my favorite books that came out this year? Yeah, because often in my mind, part of the reason I do front list is because obviously the bookshelf and mm-hmm. I'm a bookseller. And so I'm interested in talking about the books that released this year. But I also like to look at it as a time capsule, right? Like yes. every year I love looking at my top 10 and thinking, how do these 10 books encapsulate the spirit of the time? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. How do Absolutely. they capture the zeitgeist? How do they capture my personal mood, the mood of the globe, the mood of the country? And so that's why I like doing front list titles. Part of it is, yes, tied into the business and to the bookshelf, but a lot of it is also using the top 10 list. Like even before I made this list, I went back to look at last year's top 10 And I was like, oh, how many of these books do I still talk about? Do I still remember Um, Crying in H Mart, Olympus, Texas? Those are books I still reference. Those are still titles I really love. And then some, maybe a little less so. Um, But I think that's the nature of maybe a top five versus a back five. So I think it's fun to kind of look back and see how a top 10 list encapsulates a year. Also, very quickly, Olympus, Texas was last year, right? Yes. Okay. I was like, I was like, wait, I was like, I love that book. Okay. Just taking sure. Okay. Yes. It yeah. was last year. Don't worry. Don't, don't <laughs> worry. It's not this year. But yeah, I think it's fun to kind of look back on the years and see what they held. And I think books that are released, art that is released in that time, just like, just like your Spotify wrapped, like it's just, <laughs> it's just helpful to see, okay, there were some backlist hits, but like what songs encapsulated the spirit mm-hmm. of this year. And so that is why I like to look at a front list list. So, okay. When we recorded episode 381, we did briefly ask ourselves about books that surprised us for better and worse. Are mm-hmm. there any titles that stick out to you as a pleasant surprise that maybe didn't make your top 10, but you loved them? Yeah, actually, I, I was so funny because I was like, I was debating if I wanted to change a couple things like last minute. <laughs> Lauren Graham, you read her book, The How yeah. I Told You This Already. Yeah. 
I listened to that audiobook the other day mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, wow, I love this. Like, I don't know if it's like a top 10 book, but like, I really love this. It was such a fun, like, little listen. Yeah. Um, it's charming. It's charming. Yeah. I love that one. Uh, this one, I, it's one of those things where I might change my mind. It might be on my, my top 10, like, you know, December 31st, but, or is mm-hmm. it, is, do we have 31st on December? I don't know months. Yes, we do. Okay, good. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> I like. I just recently uh, finished "On the Rooftop" by Margaret Wilkerson oh, Sexton, yeah. and I love yeah. that one. Um, you made a fool of death with your beauty by Akwaike Emezi. Okay, well, I like that because I started it and it was very sexy times, and so I was like, "Oh, I don't know about this for me." It is. It is very sexy times. I don't. Hmm. I think it's less sexy times than some of the other romances I read this year. Okay. I think that she'll, hmm, no, 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 it, okay. no, it is, it is too sexy times. But, um, <laughs> but I was thinking about it and I was like, oh, wait, no, 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 it gets, it gets more sexy. Um, <laughs> but I, I was so surprised because not to spoil anything, but I thought it was such a, a exciting choice to have the love interest be who it was. Mm-hmm. And I thought this, like, you know, Amezi is such a talent and the way they were able to really elevate the, that to be more than what it was. I just, I don't know. I was mm-hmm. really impressed by that one. Their talent to me and the way they write across genres is astounding to me. Like, yeah. I do not know how they do it. I really do not. If I had that talent, I'd be threat. Oh, oh, also, I did, uh, I came all this way to meet you by Jamie Attenberg. I think you would, that's a memoir that. I think I would like that book. It was on my radar and I just didn't pick it up. I think you'd like it a lot. So, recommend. <laughs> Okay, those are fun surprises. I mm-hmm. was surprised by a couple of titles this year, but they mostly did exist in my top 10. I also was unpleasantly surprised by a couple of titles, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> which this year where I just felt like they were either books that were ho- overhyped or perhaps they were not my genre. Like that is one thing I'm learning is, wait, maybe I don't actually like these books, but I keep trying these books and maybe that's why I don't like them is because I don't like the genre, not because the writing isn't good or the mm-hmm. books aren't good. Maybe it actually has to do with the genre itself. And so I feel like I've learned a lot about myself this reading year. All in all, how would you compare your reading life or what you read in 2022 to 2021 or 2020 or pre-pandemic? I genuinely cannot remember. Like, my brain is potatoes. Mm-hmm. And so I cannot, I just can't remember anything as much as I used to. And that's the thing. That is one thing. Like, it's like the pandemic has just ruined that for me. And I don't like that. Mm-hmm. And also, I don't know about you, but like, do you, I'm sure you probably feel this way a little bit. I think the more you read for work, it does change the way that you engage with literature. Yeah. And that, so it, it makes it harder sometimes to enjoy certain books, but at the same time, mm-hmm. when, when a book can really push past all of those. Break through. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it makes it even, you know, it makes it even better. To remind listeners, because we've done this a few years now, I think last year we actually did it for Patreon. I'm not sure if we did it on the main Mm. feed or not. I can't remember. But how do you decide your top 10? People are always asking, like, Annie, how do you narrow it down when you read, you know, 100 books a year? Or if you even read 50 books a year, like, how do you narrow it down to 10? So what is your top 10 criteria? For this year, I only remember being in love with a couple, but I thought to myself, what are the books that I can think of off the top of my head? And I also still remember Mm-hmm. most everything about them. And I remember, I remember enjoying them and cause there's some books that I loved, but I don't remember anything about them now. That's right. I think that, I think you've hit it for me. You and I are on the same page. I will go through cause I'm still doing star ratings, whether I continue that in the new year <laughs> remains to be determined, but 
I go back and I look at four and five star books, specifically 4.5 and five star, but even four star, I'll kind of consider. And if it is a book, even if it's five stars, if it's a book I do not remember much about, I'm like, no, that's not top 10 material. I liked it in the moment, but it doesn't need to be included in a top 10 list because it has to be something in my mind that sticks out, like something that holds weight, something that that I will look back and think, oh yes, I read that in 2022. Like to this day, I think, I'm pretty sure this is 2018. I'm not, I hope I'm not misquoting, but I still think about A Place for Us from 2018. Mm. Like, mm-hmm. like I still can name those titles. And so last year, Olympus, Texas immediately comes to mind. And so what is a book that next year I will think, oh yeah, I read that in 2022 and, and really loved it. So memorable to me is key. Absolutely. I just have to say, I have to say one thing that's going to be a dig which is that um, I think only, yeah, only one book from the National Book Award long list made my list. <laughs> In your face, National Book Award long, they have long no, list and short list. Yeah, like I'm over them. Not, like, I mean, this year, next year we'll see. It's with <laughs> When, can you help me? Because I don't know and I should know, but I don't know. When are we gonna, when will we find out the Pulitzer winner? Because I'm, I'm learning that that oh. is my, that is my preferred book award. April of next year. Okay, so we got time. Yeah. Also, next year, Lauren Groff should have that book, The Bastard Wilds, come out. And okay. if and if that book is not on the National Book Award long list, I will riot. <laughs> <laughs> you will storm the streets. You. We've talked about this off air. I struggled with the National Book Award shortlist this year. Uh-huh. I read, I believe, the winner of the nonfiction, South to America, and uh-huh. I loved it. But... Yeah, it was not my vibe. And I think it's okay to say that they weren't my vibe. I think that's fine. I And I touched base with you because I was like, look, can you help me? Is there something I should elevate in importance? Is there something I should mm-hmm. read here? <laughs> and you graciously were kind of like, no. <laughs> yeah, no, that's no. fine. Okay, are you ready? I'm Redrick Frederick. Okay, let's start with number 10. My number 10 is Our Wives Under the Sea by Julia Armfeld. I adored this book. And when I look back on 2022, this is a book that will be memorable to me. It was incredibly original. It felt like a mishmash of genres. Um, It definitely felt like literary fiction. It felt a little bit suspenseful. It felt a little otherworldly, slightly fantastical, which is not normally my vibe. But I kind of liked the monster element of it all, kind of the wondering what was happening, what transformation was happening to this woman. It's about two wives, one who is essentially a marine biologist. She spends her time in a submarine. The submarine is supposed to be gone for three weeks. Instead, it's gone for, oh, I forget, six months or something. She spends an inordinate amount of time under the water. And she comes home and weird things start to happen. She likes to take salt baths. She spends a lot of time <laughs> in her room. like, And it is beautifully bizarre. Mm-hmm. I like a weird book. We talked about some other weird books earlier this year, throughout the year, books like Hurricane Girl. This book was really weird in the best possible way. I thought it was gorgeously written. The prose was great. It was unexpected. It was short. That's another thing that I do think, I think my reading life has um, has been affected by the pandemic and by attention spans. And so I am drawn to books that can pack a punch in a short number of pages. And I think this book did that. And so I'm thrilled to include it in my top 10, Our Wives Under the Sea by Julia Armfield. Do you know, I literally like, 
I'm not going to change my list, but <laughs> I had that on there. And then I forgot that I had it on there whenever, because I, I, le I left my lips, spoiler alert. I left my list at work and I was like, oh, let me rewrite them all down. And I <laughs> couldn't remember. What, so it's fine. Anyway. Um, so just know that one would be on my top 10 if I had brought the list that I had written down originally. <laughs> it's fine. Um, my number 10 pick is, I also like, I'm having to like do my numbers as I go. But, Redo uh, your, yeah. Yeah. My number 10 pick is going to be Clean Air by Sarah Blake. Oh, yeah. I love Sarah Blake. She had a book that came out in 2019 called Nema that was about the Noah and the Ark, but it's from the wife's perspective. Mm -hmm. I thought it was great. And I, Clean Air, Clean Air is not, it's, it's a post-apocalyptic family drama slash uh, thriller. Okay. And I don't typically like sci-fi type things. They don't typically love thrillery type things. But this one was so, I found it so compelling and so, actually, I think I, I compared it, uh, whenever we read The Road, I said that I thought that Clean Air would be a good comp title because it is about a parent and a child and that complicated love. Um, mm. And But basically, like, uh, in the book, it's pollen has kind of overtaken everything and it's to the point where you can't breathe. And so people are in these little uh, bubble pod things and someone okay. keeps slashing the pods open and like killing people oh. that way. It's very dramatic. And there's like a weird, like possible talking tree inside a girl. It's very strange. It's like a medium. There's all kind of stuff that happens. Okay. But I just think it is, it's so, the thing is, it's one of those books where I sat down, I read it in one sitting mm -hmm. and I remember pretty much everything that happened. And I for a for a book that's like not even part of a genre yeah. I typically enjoy I'm like good for you so yeah that's the mark to me of a top ten worthy book for sure mm -hmm. and I feel like you talk about it a lot that's the other thing like yeah. is it a book that I reference a lot in conversation is it a book that I want to talk about with other readers or I want to tell Jordan about that to me also means oh yeah this was this was a good book mm -hmm. okay my number nine is how not to drown in a glass of water by Angie Cruz. Did you read this? No. Okay, I think you'd really like it, actually. Oh, okay. So Aaron on Staff at the Bookshelf recommended this to me. I did it in audiobook format, which I highly recommend. Although I do think the print version would be equally delightful because this is a book about a woman named Cara Ramiro. And she lives in New York. It is... 2008. So the recession has started and she loses her job. And the book is told entirely across 12 interviews she does with a career counselor, like somebody who she's been assigned to help her find temp work, to help her find a new job. And so it's told, it's almost like an epistolary novel where you okay. are just getting her interviews with her career counselor. You never even hear from the career counselor. You just hear from Kara. And the audiobook narration is fabulous. Like I have Cara Ramiro's voice in my head, mm -hmm. just talking to you now, like felt like her voice was incredibly familiar and recognizable to me. It feels like one that will stick in my head a long time. And I also liked that interspersed throughout the chapters, there are resumes and job applications and things like that. And somehow across these 12 interviews and this relatively short novel, you really get a sense of who Kara is and the life that she wants to lead you. There's a really poignant look at her relationship with her son and what it means when you lose your job and you lose your identity and how you're supposed to figure out what's next for you. Also, the book is a lot about the immigrant experience and what that was like, especially around that time. 
And so in its own way, it's a little bit of historical fiction as well. Um, Recent history, to be sure, but history just the same. And I just found it to be really unexpected. When we talk about books that surprised us this year, this is one that surprised me. Erin really recommended it, really thought I would enjoy it. And she was entirely right. I loved it. And it's one that I think if I had read maybe in a more timely manner, I might've even picked as my shelf subscription or something like that. Like I really, Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed it. So How Not to Drown in a Glass of Water by Angie Cruz. And I do recommend the audiobook version too. That sounds so good. I think you'd like it. Okay. My number nine pick is going to be, (laughs) I'm like looking, I'm like, what am I going to say? Just by looking at him by Ryan O'Connell. Okay. Which was in my top five. That's right. And this book, it's like a it's like a romance type book about a man who is a TV show writer. He's gay. He has cerebral palsy, and he it's about this like it's it's about basically he starts he cheats on his boyfriend. And there's all this drama, and it's it's kind of like dealing with navigating the reality of being disabled and. Like not just like not just in the workplace, but also like in your love life and, and like how, how mm. it affects these things. But it's but it's also just like a really it's very funny. Mm-hmm. I will say this, the first line itself is gonna throw a lot of people because it it is <laughs> a little bit graphic, but I think that the book itself is of uh, I think it's very charming and very lovely. And I, you know, I say this all the time to the point where at this point I think it's gonna get me in trouble. I love when people have affairs. <laughs> I do have too much anxiety to have an affair, I think, but, um, <laughs> but I should like put that into the universe, but I, but I love when book people have them in books. And so if you're, if you, if you love the drama of all that, I think that this is a great one. If you like the messy. Yeah. Like yeah. Okay. My next one is a book. I'm kind of surprised it didn't get as much buzz as I just kind of thought that it would. And that is The Many Daughters of A. Fong Moy by Jamie Ford. This was in my top five earlier this year. I think part of the reason it made its way toward the bottom of my top 10 is because I read it so long ago. Like, I feel like I might have even read it at the tail end of 2021. I'm I'm not 100% sure about that, but I feel like I read it a long time ago. Might have been the very start of this year. But anyway, I really liked this book. I was not... I was familiar with Jamie Ford's work, but I had not read his previous novels. They did very well at the bookshelf. The Hotel at the Corner of Bitter and Sweet in particular is a book that did well for us, but I've not read his backlist. I've only read this one and I loved it. Surprise, perhaps a little bit surprisingly. I'm not always, hmm, I'm not always one for an epic tale, but I am here for multi-generational drama. And so I think I've been thinking a lot about Homegoing by Yad Jesse. And I feel like this book kind of plays with a similar format where we are introduced to A. Fong Moy, who was the first Chinese woman to set foot in America. Historically, she's a historically accurate character person. Um, She was a real person. And then we learn about the generations that came after A. Fong Moy and into the future. So we learn about some of these present day characters. We learn about some in the past, and then we fast forward to some in the future. And it's all about inherited trauma and also inherited joy and the things that generations pass on to us that we maybe wish they didn't. (laughs) Um, And the things we hold that turn out to be part of who we are. One of the things that enhanced my reading a lot this year was reading author's notes and, and particularly really well done author's notes. I've always loved author's notes, but Jamie Ford's kind of introduction to this novel I thought was excellent where he talks about kind of walking by his son's bedroom one day 
and hearing his son listen to a band that he loved, but his son doesn't know that. And so just this idea that like, we almost can't help who we become, or maybe it's a question of, can we help who we become? Do we carry these things from our mothers and our grandmothers and our great grandma, like, do we carry those things with us or are we our own people? And I love that idea. I love that concept. It popped up a lot in a lot of books I loved this year, but I thought Jamie Ford handled it really well and really beautifully. And again, surprised. I think I surprised myself by enjoying a work of historical fiction. This is historical fiction where it's kind of going back and forth in time periods. And I really liked it. That's The Many Daughters of A Fong Moy by Jamie Ford. I already feel like I'm missing out on so much. Um, <laughs> My number eight is another one that is not for you. Um, <laughs> it's Lapvona by Otessa Moshbeg. Oh, yeah. Okay. This, this book, has a lamb on the cover. Yes. I actually love this cover. I do think that she would like my year of rest and relaxation. I think I would too. I need to go back and read it. This one, only people like me. Who, like if, if you like it really weird, really nasty, really like questionable if you like if you like people where you're like i hate them and i love them for it like this is for you because this is like there's like this boy who's like deformed and he kills somebody there's like an old crone and just a bunch of like it's hard to explain it because i feel like anything gives this book away and i feel like it's one of those like Mm. it's best if you go into it knowing as little as possible but it's like it's set it's set in medieval times but it still feels very modern Oh, interesting. Was, yeah, like it was not at all what I expected, but it's um, some actually somebody said that uh, my friend Bernie he said that it reminded him a little t- tiny bit of Matrix just in the setting. Okay, not in any other way. <laughs> Hunter's like Annie. Do not read. like. Do I, not like read I'm telling you, like this like book. Like I am telling you, this is like this book is disgusting. Like I should not <laughs> like this book. I'm embarrassed. I like the book as much as I do, but I'm like, and also other people did not like this book at all. And okay. I'm one of those people where if other people don't like a book that I already liked, I'm like, you know what? I love it now. <laughs> I can be that way too. A little bit contrarian. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay, my number seven, I'm so curious to find out if this is going to be on your list. So my number seven is Dinosaurs by Lydia Millette. I, first of all, I know that I need to go back and read the children's Bible. I know this. I should have read it when it came out. I just didn't. And now I definitely will because I adored this book. I understand children's Bible is quite different. And so I know that. But I have got to tell you, Dinosaurs is a book that utterly surprised me this year. I picked it up. It is about a man named Gil who is ridiculously wealthy, and he decides to walk from New York to Arizona to make his home next door to essentially like a glass house with this family that he winds up befriending. And for so much of this little novel, I kept thinking, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? Like, I just kept waiting for Gil to be a schmuck Mm -hmm. or for Gil to have an affair or for the family to fall apart. And this is, I don't want to spoil it for anyone, but this book was delightfully hopeful and just about a single man trying to be a good person. I love books about people trying to be good because I think in my heart of hearts, like like whenever I find myself getting tearful, it's because somebody has told me, you're so, you're, you're a good, you're a good boss or you're a good daughter. Like, obviously I have some hangups around the word good. Don't worry. I'm in therapy. It's fine. Um, but I do love books about people who are trying Mm -hmm. and Gil is 
delightful and memorable. I don't think I will forget Gil anytime soon. I really found him to be unforgettable and the relationships and the community that he builds is so quirky. There's also a lot about Gil's relationships with a couple of men and the kind of the deep platonic friendships they build. And much like um, Hunter is to infidelity in books as Annie is to platonic friendship in books. (laughs) I just want to read about people who come alongside one another and figure things out together and Mm -hmm. try to exist in friendship with one another. I find it to be really realistic and true to my own, maybe personal experience, true to my life. Um, I just like to be surrounded by people who are trying and I like to read books about people who are trying. It's called Dinosaurs. Uh, the title gets the, it gets its title from Gil and his kind of backyard, which is full of birds and it's kind of this nature preserve. And of course, as we all know, birds are essentially dinosaurs. And so it's just a lovely book that completely surprised me in its delightfulness this year. And that is Dinosaurs by Lydia Millette. This is a slight spoiler alert. It is on my list. It is uh, actually a little bit higher on my list, but also like okay. But um, but I also wanted to say like already that one of the things I love about that book and one of the re- it's so well written. Like it's so well written. Oh my gosh, it's so good. And this is what part of my problem, by the way. The National Book Award. Hello, best written book by U.S. Yeah. Like what? Why are we overlooking one of the best written books of the year? Come on. And that tension that I was talking about where you think, oh my gosh, is is something bad going to happen here? Like, is Gil mm-hmm. going to make a bad decision? Is this family going to fall apart? That tension comes from her writing. Like, that yes. tension comes from her writing. And then she does this delightfully surprising thing, which is she doesn't go there at all. Which yes. is perhaps the most shocking thing I've experienced in literature recently, where she doesn't choose to go down the hopeless, dark path. Mm-hmm. When when I am typically drawn to hopeless dark books, but right. this is but this is not that, and I think that is a tribute to her outstanding writing and storytelling. Mm-hmm. It's such good storytelling. Yeah, I'm I'm a huge fan of hers. I've read I think I, th- I read this one. I read a children's Bible, and I also read Sweet Lamb of Heaven. I've mm. loved each one. They're all very different. They're all well written. I yeah, I highly recommend. It'll be I'll be mentioning it again in a minute. Um, okay. So this is this is number seven. Yes. My number seven is a book called Paul by Daisy Lafarge, I think okay. that's how you say it. And it is, it's a book about, I think it was originally published in France, but it's a book about a woman who goes to another country to work on this farm. And she develops this kind of relationship with this guy. And it's possibly a little bit toxic, but what I actually ended up loving, this book has stuck with me because I I went, I read it while I was uh, on a work trip and I didn't even know if I'd like it. It was sent to me. It's a Riverhead book. So, and I, I do typically like Riverhead, but it was not a book that was really on my radar, mm-hmm. but I was like, well, I'm going to read it because it's Riverhead. And then the first, the first third of the book is written in present tense. And it's while she's with this guy, the middle third is written in past tense when she's away from the guy and the last third, she goes back to the guy and it's in present tense again. And there's no backstory and there's no real interiority to these characters, which, and it's done intentionally to like kind of create that, like, like you, you're never sure what's going on in these people's mm-hmm. minds or why they're doing the things they're doing. But it is done in such an interesting way that like I, I was just so captivated by it. And I, and it, I thought it was well written and I thought it was so smart and uh, very anxiety inducing. And there's this really beautiful metaphor about 
bees and honeycombs and stuff. And I, I don't know. It's one of those things where I was like, okay, this is, this is, uh-huh. I, it, it was one of those books, when I talk about surprises, it's one of those books that really surprised me. And it's one that I can't stop thinking about, even though I didn't expect that. So. Okay. Yeah. That does sound really good. Okay. Number six. And now as I'm talking, I'm having your trouble where I'm like, wait, do I want to switch this with dinosaurs? But I don't know. I'll talk about it first and then I'll decide. Um, okay. My number six is Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by mm. Gabrielle Zevin. So I thought a lot about this because I adored this book when it released. Mm-hmm. I think I read it as an ARC, but shortly before it actually came out. And I put off reading it because I have been Gabrielle Zevin's fan for a long time. And sometimes there's a lot of pressure when you like an author that you're not going to like their newest, latest, and greatest. Mm -hmm. And so I was worried about that. And then I read it and honestly thought of her books, of which I have loved them all, I do think this is kind of her masterpiece. It's Mm -hmm. like the the book that feels to me that most encapsulates her writing spirit and her her storytelling capabilities. But I also read a lot of books in this vein this year. So I came very, very close to including Now Is Not the Time to Panic by Kevin Wilson on Mm -hmm. my list. It wound up being essentially like number 11. (laughs) (laughs) And so I didn't include it. But because those themes felt similar, it was hard to figure out where I wanted to include Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. Because by the end of the year, I thought, well, I've read a couple of other books that are similar in tone. But then when I looked back... I looked at the review I wrote when I read it and I said, this book will be in my top 10. And I thought, okay, I think that is deserving then of a spot on the top 10, but it moved down a little bit from maybe where I originally thought it would be. So anyway, Tomorrow and Tomorrow has been everywhere, Um, but I will go ahead and remind people that it is the story of Sam and Sadie. It is about their friendship and their development of video games. But as I have said often, it is... Video games are to tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow as comic books were to Station Eleven. So if you know nothing about video games, it's fine. You'll be totally fine. This is really a book about friendship and art. It's a lot about creativity and the stories we're telling with our art and how our relationships play a role in the art that we create. And I love the themes. And those themes, again, wound up popping up in a lot of other books I read this year in a good way. It was really fun to kind of see those same themes pop up in various works of literature I read this year. But I stand by my love of this one. I flipped through my ARC and thought, oh, yes, there is some really good writing in here. The sentences are really good. I think because it's one of the more plot-driven novels on my list, I tend to occasionally overlook those kinds of books because what I'm really drawn to is character-driven stories. But inside the plot-driven novel is really character stories about Sadie and Sam. And especially they have a friend, it's about Sadie and Sam, but in my mind, the hero of the book is a guy named Marx. And Marx is really my favorite character. And I love him very much. And so he is a character that I think will also stick with me much like Gil from Dinosaurs did. So Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin. Do you know, this is like a little side. I Loved that book. So I listened to that book. I was I was waking up uh, around the time that advanced listening copy came up on Libro FM. I yes. was listening to that when having uh, like 4 a.m. I was going on walks in the neighborhood. Don't worry, I'm not a criminal. Um, <laughs> but I loved that book. I thought it was great on audio too. But this is one of the things, sometimes this is why I think it's so important to just like read, not maybe like not in a vacuum, but just kind of like distance yourself from yes. hype. Mm-hmm. Because I loved the book and then everyone was like, they were like, everyone's, you know how it is. Like you start to yes. get like, yeah, I'm very hipster. And, and so 
Like, I was about to say, and you and I just admitted we're a little bit contrarian, and I think that's what it is, right? Like, I read that book before it released and thought this is amazing, and I was part of the hype problem, right? <laughs> like, I was the person saying, you've got to read this book. Everybody should read this book. And then it's like everybody read it, and I was a little bummed. Like, wait, this was mine. <laughs> yeah. Well, because then you're like, you're like, wait a minute, you didn't like it for the reasons I did, so it can't, right. you know, yeah. Like, oh, I get so, yeah. Right. But I did love that. Actually, I think if you, um, I think if you like that book, I think that that one and A Little Life... And another book, mm. uh, The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay by Michael Shaben, uh, mm. which is so like what Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow does for video games, uh, The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay does for comic books. It was a Pulitzer Prize winner. Oh, okay. So something now I'm interested. For, yeah, something <laughs> for the future. I Have you ever read him before? Uh-uh. I'm oh, not. there's uh, Moonglow, Cavalier and Clay, and Wonder Boys are three books you're going to love. Okay. Just so. Oh, this is exciting. Okay, well, maybe we'll do some more Pulitzer winners uh, in 2023 for Backlist. There we go. Okay, so this is number six? Yes. Okay. I'm, it's so funny. The, I, I keep, like, changing everything as I'm going, but, like, so I'm not expecting it. But um, I'm going with one that was in my top five, but is now top six, is uh, The Last White Man by Mohsin Hamid. I think that's mm-hmm. how you say it. So this was one about... Uh, a white man who wakes up one day to discover that he is now no longer white. He is, uh, it's re- not really, it's never clear uh, what mm-hmm. other ethnicity, he, we just said that he wakes up and he has brown skin and he does not know what to do. And at first he thinks he's just alone in it. And then it turns out it's become like a thing where everyone is, is turning, oh. you know, a different shade of brown. And they were, and so it's, it's like a thing. It's kind of like blindness by Jose Saramago, okay. which I really enjoyed, but it's very short. It's like under 200 pages. You would like it. You read okay. Exit West. Yes, I loved Exit West. I actually okay. think uh, I gave this ARC to my dad and my dad read it and really liked it. But I okay. have not. That's why I haven't read it yet. Yeah, so I do think you'd like it. He writes like like paragraph long sentences, but they're just so good. And he actually studied under Toni Morrison, I believe. Oh. And so you can't be bad. I feel like, you know, um, (laughs) right. If she's your teacher, you're probably doing okay. Yeah. And so, but I don't know. I just, I thought it was so smart, so well-written. And it's one of those things where like the ending had me weeping and I, Mm. I'm a sucker for a good ending. Cause it's so, me too. Cause we know how rare a great ending is. (laughs) So yeah, but that's definitely, wow. I'm glad that we're talking about this. Cause I'm like, Oh, I really did love this one. Okay. I'm glad. Yeah. So this is the last white man. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, I may need to get that one. That sounds good. I'm also still, I'm intrigued by Clean Air. I'm still wondering if I need to read that or if I should go back and read Nema. Read Nema. I want to talk to you about it. Mm-hmm. I think I might like Nema. Okay, now we're in top five territory. My number five book is Nora Goes Off Script by Annabelle Moynihan. Look, this is the book that brought me the most comfort in 2022. I never... And I would like to stress, mm-hmm. never reread books. I especially do not reread frontless titles. Like, I have too much to do. I, mm-hmm. If I reread, it's because it's a comfort book and like I want to reread Little Women or something like that. This book is a book that I think I will remember as a 2022 title. It's a book I think I will return to again and again. It is the very best kind of romantic comedy to me. So I love romantic comedies, but I think really good ones are few and far between. And this one had so much depth 
And I have seen so many positive reviews about this book. So I know I'm not alone. Like I know that people are hungry for this kind of literature where the protagonist is Nora. She's a single mom. The kids are precocious, but not obnoxious, which is a miracle. And she is a writer of essentially, you know, she typically writes maybe Hallmark style movies, but instead she has written a book about her, she's written a screenplay rather about her divorce and kind of the wonders that the tea house in her backyard um, kind of brings to her life. And so she's written the screenplay. And of course the actor comes to film, you know, they come to film this movie at her house and the lead actor is very attractive and there's some chemistry and romance. The sexual tension is delightful. The, Banter is lovely. The family. I love a book about a good, interesting family. Like I think about Amy Popel's stories and how much I love the families in those books, Catherine Heine. And so this book has all of that. And in my mind, a lot more. Like I feel like it is a romantic comedy, but it felt deeper than that to me. And I think a good romantic comedy can bring comfort and also make you think. And so that is what Nora Goes Off Script is to me. I adored this book. I I think I interrupted myself. I read it three times this year, which I, <laughs> which okay. I do not, I don't even know how that happened. I read it twice and then listened to it. Yeah, and, and you, um, you never do that. Oh, I, I literally never do that. I do yeah. not know when I have ever done that. And I think I just missed these people so much. Like, I think mm-hmm. I finished it and thought, Oh no, I want to be back with them and there's no sequel. So all I can do. And, and by the way, I don't want there to be a sequel. <laughs> it ended beautifully. I don't, I don't want a sequel, mm-hmm. but I just thought, how can I spend more time with these people? Well, the only way I can is to reread it. I think it's the only time I've treated a book like I would treat a movie. Like mm-hmm. I rewatch When Harry Met Sally all the time. This is the first time I've found the book equivalent, I think, where I'm like, oh, I could spend, I'm ready to hang out with Nora again. I'm ready to hang out with this family. I loved it. I thought it was very, very fun. <sighs> I feel like I miss, see, I tell, I'm telling you, I feel like I'm missing out on so much. Um, <laughs> okay, so the next book for me is the only National Book Award book that uh, that made my list, which is The Town of Babylon by Alejandro Varela. Okay. And this is a book that feels... So for anyone who... I've already mentioned it, I think, but you know, I've been reading, doing this National Book Award reading project and a lot of books in the second half of the 50s into the early 60s are these like suburban type novels. Think like John Updike's Rabbit Run or mm-hmm. uh, a lot of uh, Philip Roth books. A lot of books actually by uh, a lot of books by Jewish writers like Saul Bellow and uh, Bernard Malamud. We see a lot of these books or whatever, but uh, that are about suburbia. But the town of Babylon takes that core idea and then explores it through a queer lens and also through the lens mm. of, of a person of color. And it does it in a way that is just very interesting to me. And it kind of feels like it's like a deconstruction and a reevaluation of those narratives. Mm-hmm. And there's something that he does in the book where it's about this gay man who goes back to his, uh, I think it's his 20th high school reunion. He's going back to town also because his father's dying. Mm-hmm. And I think his husband, uh, he found out his husband who was having an affair. Mm-hmm. And and so like his his life is just kind of, you know, it's one of those moments. And, yeah. and so everything's really messy, but I don't know. I just thought this book was so interesting. I loved what it had to say about... Um, you know, we have this idea that like we have to leave home to have success, but it's like, what if one, mm-hmm. what if, what if you can't leave home Two, what if you don't want to leave home because what you, what you need is there. What if your community is there? And, and oh. there's, there's a lot going on here that I thought was great. 
And there's something he does where he, in the narrative itself, that is so interesting where he, he moves through the narrative. It, did you read, uh, you read Florida? No, you did not yeah. read Florida. Did you read I read Florida? parts of Florida. I didn't read the whole thing. You read Ghosts and Empties, right? The story, the first story. Yeah. In the, okay. And there's a part where she talks about like running through the neighborhood and looking through people's windows as if they're aquariums. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that he does something similar in here where the way he shifts through each like he it's first person, but he'll shift into third person and kind of like zoom out a little bit to like talk about other people. <laughs> and it feels like he's going throughout the neighborhood of this mm. and it's so smart. And so it's one of those that I was deeply invested in the character, the characters and the story, but I was also really impressed by what the message, like what the themes were and, and just structurally, it was just really impressive and it's one of those that I can't stop thinking about. And it's, and I also think the cover is really interesting. It's like a, uh, like a bubblegum pink. Did you listen to this or read this physically? The audiobook is on Audible. Okay. I am contractually obligated to say, I'm just kidding. I'm not contractually, no, <laughs> I did listen to it. I do not support Audible. I just happened to somehow listen to it. Through that but, means. It, but it's on Libra, right? I could listen it's to it. It's not on oh, Libra. It's not. <gasps> Why? Because and they do that Audible exclusive thing. I, f- I hate that. You I know. know. I, hate that. I know. This is, it's a, you know what? How are the book people letting this happen? It's Monopoly. It's so it frustrating. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I've got to read the physical copy. Okay. Yeah. So would I like it? Because it sounds like themes I that I would. very much like. I think you really would. Yeah. Okay. Number four. Number four for me is Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus. I love this book. It could potentially, it could maybe even be higher. There are just a couple of books that I think just blew me away this year. Mm -hmm. But I adore Elizabeth Zott. She is as memorable as Maeve from the Dutch House. She is living in the 50s and 60s as a woman, but desperately is brilliant and smart and desperately wants to work unbothered in her field of science. But instead, she, of course, endures sexual harassment and her career becomes a disaster because of standing up to sexual harassment. And she finds herself what I'm picturing as a PBS style cooking show that mm-hmm. winds up taking off because she is, she is so smart and so unintentionally wise and funny. Mm-hmm. And this book is also deeply sad. I have said it before. I will say it again. I have no problem saying it. I hate mm-hmm. this cover. I hate the American cover. I think it does this book a disservice. Mm-hmm. And nobody cares about my opinion about that, but I'm telling you anyway, because I think this book is dealing with a lot of stuff. Like it's mm-hmm. dealing with sexual harassment. It's dealing with grief. It's dealing it's dealing with deep-seated issues that I think Bonnie Garmus handles beautifully. I just don't think the cover belies those things. And I think then you're missing a whole population of readers who might enjoy this. Mm -hmm. And then I also think you're confusing the readers who pick up this bright orange poppy fun color and they think this is going to be a fun ride. And it is fun, but it's also a lot. It's also heavy. A lot happens to these characters. I love them. It reminds me in some ways of a J. Ryan Stradell book where like deeply sad things are happening to these people, but you trust Bonnie Garmus to kind of redeem it all in one way or another. There's also a weirdly memorable dog character. I say weirdly because I typically do not care about animal (laughs) characters in books, but I became very invested in 630. He is, yeah, the best dog character I probably have ever read. (laughs) I feel like I can say that safely. I adored this book. I feel like I could hand sell it to almost anybody. And that's what I've said as we approach the holiday season. I just feel like this is very much for anyone and almost everyone. I need to read it. 
I would love to know what you think because obviously it's perhaps a little bit more commercial maybe, but you like commercial lit. I mean, you like the Lauren Graham book. So I think you might like this one. That's the thing too. I think that like, I think I'm getting to a point like as I near 30 where Mm -hmm. I... I'm stuck. Like, it's like, you know, when you're 16 to 16 to 18, it's like all, all the music you listen to has got to be that hipster stuff that no one cares about. Yes. Um, I think that for like the, the majority of my twenties, I was like, Oh, I have to like this really pretentious books that like, which, and mm-hmm. I love a lot of them, but like, but I also have allowed myself to be like, Oh no, I do enjoy some romances that are well-written. I enjoy, yes. you know, like, like, it can be commercial and it can be quality too. And that's fine. That's right. Well-written books can cross genres and publishing boundaries. Yes. As you, like, you know, the literary beach read. I love that. Yeah. My number four is Trust by Erin Diaz. I was going to put Dinosaurs here, but um, anyway. Um, <laughs> but Trust is one that I did really enjoy. It's uh, it's four sections. It's It kind of reminded me of Fates and Furies in some ways, which is probably the reason why I liked it the most. But it's a book about money, and it's about uh, the first book is this this novel about this man who was very successful, especially even like during like the Great Depression, he was like one of the few people who still was like a millionaire or whatever. Hmm. And then the second part is about like the true story like, that's not okay. based on the novel. And then the third part, uh, like each section is like is a different is a different part of the story that kind of like all comes together to tell the full story. Okay, it was a Booker finalist. It should have been on the National Book Award. It's fine. <laughs> it's very well written. He was a he was a Pulitzer finalist for uh, In the Distance. But this is one of those books where I don't think you're going to like it if you have a problem with like cold books. Like it's not it's not very warm and inviting at times. It's it's definitely you are reading it because you enjoy like it on a craft level. I think, mm-hmm. um, but. I just love what I had to say about money and I loved it. But at the same time, I also just like, this is awful. If you haven't, if you've, if you're choosing between this and Fates and Furies, read Fates and Furies. Okay. But if you have read Fates and Furies and you liked a lot of the themes and ideas are, uh, that Fates and Furies introduces, I think this book does it in a very different way that is in conversation with that book. You know who read and loved this was Lucy, former bookshelf staffer Lucy. Oh, yeah. She loved this book. Yeah, she really right. did. Mm-hmm. Okay, my number three, and I was surprised. I thought this was going to be my number one, but some other books kind of crawled their way to the top. Number three for me is The Crane Wife by C.J. Hauser. I read this book in January, curled up on my couch. I adored my reading experience. It's the kind of book that I would have loved apart from the bookshelf. Do you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. we were talking about books that kind of transcend our jobs and kind of remind us why we love reading. And this book did that for me. It's an essay collection the title essay was a work in the Paris Review and it went viral. And this essay collection is the result. I think it is a near pitch perfect essay collection. I think it was a shelf subscription for me earlier this year. We discussed it as part of our Patreon book club. I love discussing it with people Mm -hmm. because there is an essay in here for everyone, for every Mm -hmm. interest. The theme is, I think, C.J. Hauser learning to love herself, like learning to love who she is and who she's becoming. But there are some essays in here that I do not think I will forget. So one of them in particular is an essay that she writes about attending a robotics competition. Yes. And I just love the way she sees the world. And so much of what she writes feels familiar to me and feels like, oh yes, that's an observation I would have made. And I think... You know, I think books are important because I I think it's important to read books by people who are very different from us, who have different worldviews, different experiences. 
I also think sometimes it's fun to read books that make us feel seen and make mm-hmm. us feel like, oh, we're not the only people that notice that. And so I, I thought of Mary Laura Philpot and the ways her work has often made me feel understood. And I think C.J. Hauser is doing that in The Crane Wife. There's a great essay about the Philadelphia story if you yes. love old movies. The Crane Wife obviously is an outstanding work of of essay form. Like if you if you are a student of writing, I also think this book is just kind of a class in, mm-hmm. in essay writing. And I am interested in that craft. And so I found myself especially drawn to this because I thought it was an impeccable collection. There's an essay about her home and about kind of, you know, finding a room of one's own and that kind of thing. I just love, there's not a dud in this essay collection, Mm -hmm. which I think is remarkable for a debut, debut collection. And I really, really loved it. I loved my reading experience. I loved talking about it with other people. I loved reading it alone and in a vacuum. And it's amazing to find a book that you can read and enjoy in all of those circumstances. So The Crane Wife by C.J. Hauser. So my number three is one that you've mentioned, which is Dinosaurs by Lydia Millet. Yes. And I, and the thing is, it's so funny because I thought a lot about why did I love this book aside from it being so well-written and, and so hopeful. And I think it's that she continues to look at, she continues to have like really interesting conversations in her books about things that are happening. Like in the children's Bible, she was writing a lot about, uh, climate change mm-hmm. but it's not and i think she still does that a little bit too in dinosaurs but yeah. it's not like on the nose but it, it's there but here you know i think she's writing a lot about what it really means to to not be a bad person but to mm-hmm. be really unaware to to have been to have spent most of your life being unaware of yeah of of a lot of things including your privilege and of your and and of just how and what it means to navigate the world like and to be to genuinely be a good person but to not but to not know what's important to recognize i think i guess like yeah and because you know i think the character of gil i think you see him attempting to be good and and it's so interesting there's a point where he um where he's like he volunteers for like a a women's shelter and i think a lot (laughs) about stuff like this and it's and it's one of those things where it's kind of it's talking about these like really tricky like these tricky conversations that we're still figuring out how to have. Yes. Yes. And I think that she's offering, uh, uh, she's, she's offering us like a, a way to, to visualize this kind of like, we're, we're seeing it kind of play out. Yes. Um, and I love that because I don't think I've seen another book do this. And I don't think no. that a lot of authors could pull this off the way she does. I think Gil would have been an absolute loathsome character in somebody else's hands. Absolutely. Right, like I think we would have all rolled our eyes at him, like, "Oh, this guy," and and you're right, she is showing us a different way. It's a lot more tender. It's nuanced. It's it's gracious, Mm -hmm. and I am interested. I'm interested in that. Yeah, so that's definitely one of the like I that that's the thing for a book to show you, and that's because I just feel like it's one of those things where if anyone else had written it, I'd probably been like, "Ick," and because she did this, I was like, "Okay, I love this." Um, so that's definitely my number three. Okay, my number two is The Book of Goose by Yu Yun Lee. So I love this book. I want you to read this book. I think you would like it. Okay. You know, the comparison to Elena Ferrante is very much on the surface. I think some critics even roll their eyes at that comparison because it is so obvious, but I think mm-hmm. it's obvious because it is true. <laughs> I think that is yeah. the very that is the very clear comp to this. But what Yu Yun Lee is doing 
I think is really interesting because again, it goes back to the themes in Now Is Not the Time to Panic in Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow, where you've got these two young women. They are living in a post-World War II era France and they're kind of living this provincial life. And the way she writes about childhood friendship and how you kind of find yourself completely devoted to this person who maybe is not good for you or maybe mm-hmm. is good for you. It depends on the day. Um, but some days it's toxic and some days it hel- it's healthy. And I think we all have like childhood friendships like that where you find yourself just totally captivated by this other person and totally drawn into their circle. And so one of the girls gets this idea to write a book and together they write this really dark, <laughs> dark, uh, these dark stories about their provincial French town. And the book winds up getting published and it's published under the other girl's name. And that's purposeful. But that decision winds up obviously impacting these two young women as they grow up and older. And this is no spoilers. Immediately upon starting the book, we know that one of the women in adulthood has died rather unexpectedly. And then one of the young women who is now a full adult woman has survived and like doesn't live in France anymore and has had her own, her own life. And so I love this idea of two roads diverged in a wood, right? Mm -hmm. Like these two young women with these very similar upbringings. um, But one of them kind of gets out and one of them stays and is one of those options really better than the other. Who's to say, and it's also about art and creativity and who takes the credit and where ideas come from from and where maybe how the places we call home shape us and how the people we call home shape us. Like these two childhood friends wind up just becoming utterly intertwined into each other's stories, despite not really knowing each other in late adolescence or early adulthood. I loved this book. I think I've, (laughs) I, so I love this book. I raved about it. Five stars for me. Obviously it's my number two book of the year. I have had many readers kindly DM me and they're a little bit like, excuse me, what? <laughs> excuse excuse me, what is this book? It's a little weird. Um, yeah, it's weird and I love it. I, I love how weird and unique it is. This is my kind of historical fiction. I think it's brilliant. We did it for a shelf subscription book club and I think people felt like, eh, this is fine. And then we talked about it and of course, that's the beauty of book club, right? Is some people maybe changed their minds or at least felt a little differently upon having discussed it. But I thought upon having discussed it, I was like, oh yeah, this is brilliant. She's genius. Mm-hmm. Lee is ge- genius. This is a work of art. I will take no other opinions at this time. I loved it. The Book of Goose. Also the cover. Oh my gosh, the cover oh, is gorgeous. I, I have the, the ARC and I really need a physical copy. I the thing is I read what was yeah, her it's beautiful. Uh, where reasons end or where reason ends reasons yeah yeah and I I read that one I think when it came right. out and loved it but I have not but yes yeah, so I do want to read this one um, and now you're making me obsessed I'm like oh why did I not read this before the podcast episode so I could have it on my top ten <laughs> <sighs> well I don't know maybe you'll be one of those people who's like Annie this is a little weird <laughs> no you know what but no, I think you'll I, like it oh I, I think I will. <laughs> Um, I think you'll like it. So my, because that's the thing too. I wonder if my number two would have been my number three if I had read this one. Because my number two is your number three, uh, The Crane Wife by C.J. Oh, Hauser. Okay. You know I love this book. It's so funny because a couple of years ago I wrote this piece. I like I, I like I posted on my short, on my Instagram stories. I was working on a on an essay about. And I was ta- I've talked to you a lot about this about like I, re- I was writing this essay about recalibrating my identity for for someone else I was with, 
mm-hmm. and and how I've done that my whole life. And I think that that's something that she writes a lot about in The Crane Wife. Yes. Just how you constantly, like uh, the Philadelphia story essay is a lot about how Catherine Hepburn's mm-hmm. character is, her identity is based solely on who she ends up with. Yes, it's Julia Roberts in Runaway Bride. Yes. And I think so much about how I, I and I think we, to a certain extent, you know, we're, we're all always, shifting ourselves a little bit for people, but I don't think that we always realize to an extent. And I think that mm-hmm. she, she writes so beautifully about that and, and in a way that I had never really seen articulated this well. And, mm-hmm. and so it's, it's one of the, I did, I felt like what you said, I felt so seen and so, I don't, it's so funny. And there's also this essay about like uh, her mom, like tells these stories that like are probably not true. Yeah. And like her it's family ha- history of storytelling is fascinating. Yeah, and it's hilarious. And, and also, yeah. I'm like laughing. We've talked about this before, laughing and then crying like right away. Yes. Like, yeah. This is a book that moved me, which I, there are just a couple this year where by the end I was moved to tears, and Crane Wife is one of them. Yeah. <sighs> okay. See, so, okay. So that was my number two. Now I'm really curious. Is your number one my number one? It must be, right? My number one is The Swimmers by Juliet. <gasps> yes. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Why was this book not in the National Book Award running? I will never understand it. When I saw this book was not, like, out of every book that was not on the list, when I saw this was not on the long list, I thought, they they don't know. I, <laughs> I don't understand it at all. This book is profound. It mm-hmm. is, I, look, I am in awe of a tome. I'm in awe of long form storytelling, but there is something about the fact that Julia Tsuka in what, 150, 200 pages, like tells just the most beautiful story. You care so deeply. For those of you who don't know, I don't think it's spoilers to say that the first half of the book is the story of these swimmers at this public pool. Mm -hmm. And then the second half is something else entirely. Mm -hmm. And this book deals with caregiving, with community care, with generational differences. And it's beautiful. Like, again, this is a book that moved me. I was very moved by it, emotionally moved by it, struck by it. This is a work of genius. Why is... I don't understand. I don't understand why more people weren't talking about it. I feel like they were when it released. Mm -hmm. But to me, it deserved award buzz. It deserved commercial buzz. I think it's very accessible while not being dumbed down in any way, shape, or form. It's a work of art. I don't know why more people aren't talking about it. Do you know, it's so funny. I'm glad you mentioned it. So I recommended this to people at CrossFit and some people liked it, but one person, I like, I, she's she's an older woman and I was going to throw her down on the ground. I was like so upset because she, <laughs> she was like, she goes, oh, it was terrible. And I said, terrible in what world? And... <laughs> She's like, it was just so sad. I said, sad isn't terrible. Sad is sad. I was like, precision of language, Jonas. This is the giver. Um, I was very intense. I think this, it is truly, it is, it is one of those best written books of this year. I think it is. Mm-hmm. And not just, and not just in American literature. I think, I think all around, it is one of the best written books. It is the way that she tells the story, a story that it, it's interesting. Cause I feel like I know people have told stories like this before, but there's something that feels so unique in how she's done it. Mm-hmm. It is It is utterly unique. And I would also like to gently push back on whatever this woman's name is. 
It's okay to read sad things. Look yeah. around. The world is sad. Right. I want to read books that tell the truth about how the world looks. Mm-hmm. And The Swimmers, to me, tells the truth about how the world wo- looks. I was completely struck by how the first half, I immediately care. None of these swimmers, one of the swimmers is named, but mm-hmm. everyone else goes unnamed. Somehow, I cared deeply for these people. And when there was a crack in the pool, I thought, oh no, what are these people going to do? I was incredibly invested. My heart broke because I felt like they they developed this really lovely community and now they were going to be torn apart. And then the way she turns that into a metaphor that doesn't slap you over the head with Mm -hmm. its profundity, like like it just is so graceful and subtle I don't know how she did it. I really don't. I will not be surprised if this is on, if we see this in the Pulitzer conversation. I certainly hope so. I just, did you, again, maybe it's because this book released, what, in February, January? January. this released. Okay. So maybe it's because it came out so long ago. Are people not talking about it or is it just because, oh, they talked about it, but it was in January. Why aren't more people talking about this? Honestly, I, you know, it... I wonder, hmm. I, here's the thing, right? Like, I don't know. I have, I have no, I have no good answers. I just okay. have, but, but my thing is we had eight, eight debut novels on the National Book Award. I'm not over it. I'm sorry. I'm not. <laughs> because like, why did eight debut, like, I'm sorry. There is not one debut, debut book, short story collection, novel, whatever, that was better than the Swimmers. Right. right. Um, I just don't, I it should have at least been in the conversation. And again, maybe I'm just, maybe people were talking about it, but it was in January and like now we're over it. But I don't know why this wouldn't be in every person's, uh, anyone who read it. I don't know why it wouldn't be in every person's top 10. <laughs> well, the thing is, I think, you know, I think to me, a book like that is kind of how, what's that Wes Anderson hotel movie? Um, oh, oh no, it's on the tip of my tongue. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it was... It was a. It was a. It came out early the year that it was on the Oscar buzz. Whatever. It was very early in the year, and it's one of those books that it was one of those, one of those movies that just happened to ride the wave the entire time. And I feel like the swimmers should have been one that was able to ride the wave the entire time. Yeah. And the fact that people, I'm st- I'm mad. Like th- basically, this whole podcast episode was actually just uh, a sneak attack <laughs> uh, against the <laughs> National Book Award. Uh, no, I'm kidding. But. Uh, but no, but I do. I, I love The Swimmers. I definitely think it is one of the best books I have read in a long time. I mm-hmm. cannot stop thinking about it. I cannot stop recommending it. I think it is beautiful. Yeah, me too. Okay, so we had some overlap this year, which I think is really delightful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I now have some books that I want to read. Make sure you remember to text me the name of that one that I really want to read. But I love that we had some overlap. I think all in all, like when I look at this list, I'm like, yeah, this book reflects my reading year where I really enjoyed you know, a romantic comedy. Mm -hmm. I also loved reading No Surprise. I loved reading about art and friendship and creativity. And that's not surprising. And then I loved really unique storytelling like Our Wives and The Swimmers. And so I definitely see, I see why this list would be my top 10. Do you feel good about your list? Do you think you'll change it before this podcast is released? I'm sure I'll change it. I'm always changing stuff. But I do think that the ones that you and I had in common are the ones that are going to stick. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, thank you, Hunter. And thank you, listeners. We would love if you would share with us some of the books that are in your top 10. Give us your whole list. Tag us. Tag us on Instagram. Tag Shelf by Shelf. I'm I'm making them tag you. You might not want that. (laughs) (laughs) Tag Annie B. Jones 05. Tag the bookshelf um, at Bookshelf Tville. And let us know your top 10. Leave us in the comments what your favorite books of the year were. We would love to hear it. And next week, you'll be hearing from our bookshelf staffers on what their favorite books of the year were. This week, what I am reading is brought to you by Visit Thomasville. Spend Christmas in Thomasville. There is something truly special about the holiday season in Thomasville, from shopping for those must-have presents for everyone on your list, to the twinkling lights, sparkling window displays, and tempting smells wafting from restaurants all add to the festive feeling of the season. From downtown hotels to delightful vacation rentals, book your getaway to Thomasville and add a little more sparkle to your holidays. As you visit Thomasville this holiday season, as you wrap up your holiday visits, as the holiday season kind of culminates and comes to a close, I would encourage you to leave the downtown Thomasville area and head to Christmas in Lights, a display done by Flowers Foods. This is free entertainment for the family if you're from Tallahassee and you love driving through Dorothy B. Oven Park. This is a similar vibe and experience. I know some of my friends have been doing it since childhood. Some of them go every night during the holiday season, which I think is true commitment. It's just a little drive-through lights display. It is magical. My cousin Caroline adores coming up from Tallahassee and us doing it together. I think Jordan and I are going to go after we finish recording this podcast episode. So it is available every night from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. It's just a drive-through light display on 319 South, and it is up from now until New Year's Eve. So even after Christmas, if you're looking for something to get out of the house, to do. You can go grab a hot chocolate from Grassroots, from Dunkin' Donuts, and then go drive through this beautiful lights display. This week, I'm reading Barracoon by Zora Neale Hurston. Hunter, what are you reading? I'm reading A Woman's Story by Annie Ernaux. Thank you again to our sponsor, Visit Thomasville. To find out more about how you can visit Thomasville this holiday season, go to thomasvillega.com. From the Front Porch is a weekly podcast production of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in Thomasville, Georgia. You can follow The Bookshelf's daily happenings on Instagram at bookshelftville, and all the books from today's episode can be purchased online through our store website, bookshelfthomasville.com. A full transcript of today's episode can be found at fromthefrontporchpodcast.com. Special thanks to Studio D Podcast Production for production of From the Front Porch and for our theme music, which sets the perfect warm and friendly tone for our Thursday conversations. Our executive producers of today's episode are Donna Hetchler, Cammie Tidwell, Chantal Carl, Nicole Marcy, Wendy Jenkins, Lori Johnson, Kate Johnston Tucker. Thank you all for your support of From the Front Porch. If you'd like to support From the Front Porch, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Your input helps us make the show even better and reach new listeners. All you have to do is open up the podcast app on your phone, look for From the Front Porch, scroll down until you see write a review and tell us what you think. Or if you're so inclined, you can support us over on Patreon, where we have three levels of support, Front Porch Friends, Book Club Companions, and Bookshelf Benefactors. Each level has an amazing number of benefits like bonus content, access to live events, discounts, and giveaways. Just go to patreon.com forward slash from the front porch. We're so grateful for you, and we look forward to meeting back here next week.